Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Argus Metal Movers podcast. And my name is Ellie sacklett Vala. I'm the editor of Argus Non-Ferrous Markets and I'm joined today by Dr Stacey Hope, who is Managing Director of Women in Mining UK. And she was also recently appointed as Chair of the Fair Cobalt Alliance. Uh, she has more than 14 years of experience as an international development specialist and strategic advisor on numerous issues. Uh, she consults and advises various UN agencies. She sits on the advisory boards of the UTU Social Impact Investment Fund and Actions for the Development of Africa. She's also an advisor on a geothermal energy project in Turkey and former ESG director at Africa Matters Limited. Uh, so a wealth of experience to draw on uh, for this podcast today. Uh, welcome, Stacey. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me and good on you for uh, reading out all of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an impressive CV. I couldn't really bear to leave anything out. I wonder if we could maybe kick off for those who aren't yet familiar with women in mining. Could you tell us a bit about the organisation and also about your goals within the UK division? Absolutely. So we're a non-profit organisation led by volunteers. We were founded in 2006 on the basis of promoting uh, the employment, retention and progress of women in the mining sector. And we do this through a number of, of ways and partnerships with mining companies and industry partners to really drive the gendered um, discourse in mining across all platforms. And when it comes to what we do at Women in Mining UK, uh, there's so many, so many things that we do. And, you know, I've recently been appointed, I, well, I don't know if I can say recently now, but since February of this year as the managing director. And I come from a policy background and it's not something that we've done in the past, but my goal for Women in Mining UK is really to have an impact in uh, mining policy, especially in the gendered um, aspect of how do we include women and the intersectionality that comes with women and gender in mining. Uh, in terms of what we actually do to support this progress and retention, we have uh, entry, well, if we look at entry positions or having young women enter mining, the mining sector. We provide scholarships and internships, and the internships are not just in the UK, but they're with mining companies and mining associations like the World Gold Council. We've in the past had um, internships with Sentiment in Egypt and Golden Star um, in previous years in, in Ghana. So we provide entry-level access. But then as we move along the pipeline, we do also a lot of professional development initiatives. So we partner with Women on Boards UK to provide that. And we have a CV masterclass for women who are interested in joining boards to, to attend that. And we provide bursaries. And we've actually um, sent out an invite to a cohort of 10 already for the year. So that's quite exciting. But then we also raise awareness around women in the sector. 
and issues and well the challenges and opportunities of having women in the mining sector and having more women in the mining sector I should say through thought leaderships and conversations like this which I think are important and we also place women on panels and at conferences or through our own in-house hosted webinars. And then finally, this is the year for the WIM 100, the 100 Global Inspirational Women, which we do biannually. So this is the year, this year. And not only do we give visibility to women in the sector, but we celebrate their achievements. And this encourages young women as well to really look at the mining sector as a space for them. So yeah, we do quite a lot and we're doing much more. Uh, so, you know, watch this space or listen to this space since this is a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I mean, there has, uh, I would say over the past few decades, certainly been an increase uh, in the presence of, of women in mining at various different levels. And as you said, we do now start to see a few more women at board level across different ends of the mining industry and I suppose mining adjacent industries as well. But there does still seem to be quite a long way to go to get the balances a little bit better. What do you think are the main barriers uh, that are still in place for women, either in practical terms or sometimes psychologically? Why have we not yet got further than we are? You know, it's very hard to change bias, especially when it's become embedded as social norms. And these are systemic challenges. So it will take some time because we've, we've designed an industry and other industries through a male lens. So because we've designed this beast of a system using, uh, well, through this male-dominated lens, it's now hard to unpick that. So, but we're doing it, right? We're doing it slowly, slowly. But that unconscious and sometimes conscious bias that's been built into the system really poses that challenge. And I think we talked about the psychological um, barriers as well. Because of that, we have had this embedded, well, it's been indoctrinated that, you know, when we enter a room, we aren't the major players, which we really have to break down. But there is that psychological barrier as well that's been caused by decades upon decades, and I should say centuries of, of um, bias that has placed women in this position. So this is where you see imposter syndrome. And I'm sure many of us have felt this walking into a room. I know I've walked out of a room once. <laughs> But then I walk back in, I pull myself together, I walk back in. This is probably like over a decade ago, but I remember just walking into this room filled with people in the mining sector. And I thought, oh, I'm an anthropologist as well. So I just thought, oh, it's overwhelming. Let me walk out. I don't belong. But then I walked back in and I told myself, well, I asked myself, well, how can I belong? Right. And this is the thing. 
the barrier comes because we often don't feel as though we belong. So how can we create that environment of belonging so that everyone feels a part of the industry? Not just in the work that they do, but in the space that they take. So yeah, it's a it's a tough one and the psychological part is difficult, but I think when you join networks like Women in Mining UK or industry associations, those help to open up um well, you know, to establish space for women in the industry. So much of what you say is resonating and I think that feeling of walking into a room and feeling that you don't belong, even though rationally you do, is quite tricky to communicate and explain to peers and professionals that haven't felt that uh, and the power of that. I'm conscious as well that Women in Mining is a global initiative, even though your specific focus uh, is in the UK. Could you comment a bit on some of the variations that you see between different geographies uh, in terms of how gender issues manifest within the mining sector? Uh, How is it different going from sort of here to there? Absolutely. And maybe one thing to note, so we are all um, individual organizations, the women in mining organizations. However, with Women in Mining UK, because we don't do the majority of our mining here in the UK, we have to engage with other women in mining organizations around the world. So we do this through our uh, global outreach committee. And through them, we've learned so much about some of these gendered issues that manifest. I mean, there are the baseline issues that we all have, but there are the nuanced differences and then there are significant differences based on context. In certain issue, in certain uh, jurisdictions, we have barrier to entry caused by the women's rights to actually be present on mines. We don't have that here. Um, In others, it's around gender-based violence and sexual harassment. We tend not to, in the past, focus on sexual harassment or harassment in general in the workplace, but now we are, right? And actually, there's a lot to learn from how other jurisdictions, especially in the Global South, have dealt with, uh, with these issues. Uh, Chile is a great example. They've um, really put forward this video early on in their establishment to drive uh, this narrative of gender-based violence and sexual harassment in the in the mining sector. And now government is on board with their with their programs. So, you know, we see these beautiful initiatives around the world, uh, mentorship programs coming out of um, South Africa, coming out of Canada, the United States. So there are these recognizable issues that we all face, but then there are the nuanced differences that really, um, really inspire the rest of us to take heed and learn. We've seen ESG in general really move up the agenda for a lot of mining companies in the past few years. How do we measure the true impact of all these ESG initiatives and ensure that local communities are really feeling the benefits? Do you, do you think there is enough monitoring in place and those and those benefits are being felt? I think I think we also have to think about what we're measuring, right? Because ESG is 
predominantly driven by the investors, right? So I think like a third, well, last year, a third of all professionally managed assets had ESG criteria placed on them. We we have to ask, well, what's being measured? Um, and, you know, we talk about the true impact. If it's, if we're just measuring uh, net zero decarbonization, then we're missing out on other parts of ESG that really impact the mining sector and local communities. But we tend to think that we're seeing the actual or the true impact, but we're only going to see that really when the miners leave, right? Have we actually put in place systems that will truly impact the communities autonomously from the mining companies? And I think once we're able to measure that, then we can talk about true impact. I am from the days of sustainability and the the SDGs. So I use the SDGs as my measurement along with ESG criteria. And I find that once you do that, you're able to then have some value uh, measured, but ultimately when it comes to mining operations, what does it look like at the end of the mining life cycle? So we shall see, right? <laughs> really interested as well in your involvement with Cobalt, with the, the Fair Cobalt Alliance, which obviously connects to all these issues very heavily, uh, ESG in general, and then women and some of the more vulnerable members uh, of communities. Cobalt has its own issues, of course, uh, around small-scale mining and challenges that come with that. Could you initially just comment a bit about what the Fair Cobalt Alliance is trying to achieve in the sector? Absolutely. This is a multi-stakeholder platform that brings across major players or major uh, users of cobalt in their production to help drive the professionalization of um, artisanal and small-scale mining and also address some of the significant issues that cobalt, especially since we're focused on DRC, places on communities. So our approach looks at not only the professionalizing of ASMs, but and their sites in particular, but it also looks at how do we also safeguard children? How do we provide economic diversification options as well? Not getting rid of ASMs because economically that doesn't make sense for communities and we have no authority to say what they can and cannot uh, choose, but to give them the options. And then ultimately it's, are we actually making an impact? Are we telling an economic development story that makes sense? And that will have impact on the 200,000 women and men that we engage with. When it comes to my role in at Women in Mining UK and how that marries with the Fair Cobalt Alliance, DRC, it's a 
very complex place, especially for women. And added to that, women in the mining sector. And when we talk about women, we're also talking about their roles as caretakers um, and as providers as well. So when we have women on the mines, we've always had children on the mines as well because there's no one else to look after the kids. So now it's how do we help to put children back in school, help to give back children their rights to childhood and women rights to practice safely and to also have other options outside of the mines. So this is what we're doing. And this is the these are the social aspects that we're looking at um, to really to really tackle at Fair Cobalt Alliance. I'm interested in the balance between the social engagement and policy at the top of the conversation you mentioned, say with Women in Mining UK, that part of what you're very involved in is pushing for changes in policy, improvements in policy. Obviously, to deal with these issues, we need a combination of everything, I imagine. At a policy level, within the UK, but also potentially in the DRC and further afield, what is it that you feel is really missing from policymakers? Well, I, I do think that the gendered uh, discussion is still weak. And when it comes to mining policy in the UK, we haven't actually addressed that in past, I don't know many, how many ever decades. I don't want to give figures that aren't accurate. But we've been reliant on the EU and looking at UK mining policy, it, there is need for an update, right? There is need for the integration of decarbonization within the mining context. There is need for uh, reflection on what happened at COP26, where we didn't have miners uh, involved, and what will happen uh, at COP27. But um, slowly, slowly, I mean, at the beginning of the conversation, this is uh, what I would like to see for Women in Mining UK. Uh, we haven't engaged yet uh, as, at a formal level. We have participated in the revision of the Modern Slavery Act, looking at the mining's uh, impact, or not only the impact, but the mining industry's role in modern slavery and how do, how do we integrate that across uh, the modern slavery policy, but looking at it through the mining lens. Now, my participation in that and Women in Mining UK's participation in that was to ensure that the gendered lens was applied. So, okay, this is the reality of mining, but we were still talking about mining through a male lens, right? We weren't talking about mining. Well, what are the impacts from uh, women's participation from upstream to downstream? So that's the role that we've played and that's the role that we can play even further as we engage more on a policy level. But really watch this space because you will see women in mining UK play a very big role here in the UK. Great to hear. Um, I feel like I need to bring up the the, the COVID topic, um, given given recent history. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's been a lot written and said about how 
lockdowns globally um, have in many industries and in many parts of life set women back a bit. Yeah. Um, do you see that playing out in the mining industry at all? How has the pandemic um, affected uh, women's issues in mining? Oh. Absolutely. And I could talk across various jurisdictions. I mean, starting here in the UK and I think in the global north or however you wish to define um, the region, you have a lot of women who didn't come back after COVID, right? Um, they were either let go or they dropped off because they didn't see the mining sector vis-a-vis COVID-19 and the impacts that COVID-19 had on them, they didn't see it as a viable option for them and their new reality, right? So you have you have the issue of women leaving and not coming back and you have this massive drop-off rate. The great resignation has not been kind, but then you've also had an increase in serious social issues that have also impacted women's abilities to participate in the workforce. So many examples that one can give, but I think, yeah, just the fact that the mining sector, like many sectors, but the mining sector in particular, needs to really look at what will make uh, working in it for women, um, especially given uh, COVID-19 and future challenges ahead. You know, we're suffering an energy crisis as well. So there's the conversation about equitable pay. (laughs) So there are so many different factors that have now caused women to take their skills elsewhere. We need to be quite cognizant of this because we don't want to go back to all male and stale, right? Yeah. Well, what do you think is lost? I mean, it, it, when we have a more diverse workforce, whether that's gender or diversity in so many other ways, why does that benefit the mining industry? What is lost when we, we lose these, these workers and, and, they, and they take their considerable skills elsewhere? Well, I mean, one, in general, we lose the talent. And we don't have enough people in the mining sector at the moment. We don't have enough young people coming into mining. And they're asking these questions, right? They're the ones who are driving uh, the ESG narrative. And, well, what are you doing about climate change? And what are you doing about women in the workforce? They're leading these questions. And if the mining sector cannot provide the right answers, they're not joining it. So for one, if we want to make mining uh, sexy for the young generation, we need to actually address these key uh, sustainable sustainability and ESG questions that they are asking. Uh, but mining operates across all jurisdictions. So whether it is diversity in gender or diversity in ethnicity or backgrounds, we need to have a sector that can react to the various changes across the jurisdictions, across uh, the markets. And we need a, a diverse workforce for that. We need a diversity in perception, in um 
in abilities to respond and provide solutions, but also getting into the heads of others requires diversity of your board, of your staff, of your C-suite, of your senior managers to actually consider what those various uh, reactions need to be. So uh, it's the, for me, I think it's a, a general uh, response in the fact that if you have di diverse thought, then you're able to react and mitigate risk more efficiently and uh, and yeah, and just make it a better a better company, a better industry to work in. I'm conscious that we've almost run out of time, so I wonder if we could end on a, a final question about advice. We have, uh, I think, the mining industry and so many industries that are connected to mining, whether that's one like I'm in or further downstream renewable energy, so many sectors that tie to mining as well. I think it's a, a sector and a career that has so much to offer, um, but there are challenges, and I think particularly for young people considering coming into it, they're looking at all these things, as you say. Is there any advice that you would give to young women or women who are potentially looking to move into uh, a mining-related sector uh, about developing and progressing their career? So I think one in terms of, before progressing in terms of whether mining is the right career path or not for young women, Speaking to local women in mining organizations, for one, helps to ignite that um, excitement about the industry, but also identifying individuals who are who you find inspirational and reaching out to them. That works. I I receive lots of messages from young people in the industry interested in taking their um, their career further. I would also say, you know, have I want to put this in in the in the most diplomatic way possible. But I I would leave some caution to the wind and go into the mining sector with the mindset that you are also a change maker. The mining sector cannot last the way it's lasted in its format for the in the past how many ever uh, centuries, right? It's it has to change because we have to change uh, the way in which we actually do business in order to be productive and in order to actually um, be competitive. So because mining has to change, so does its workforce. And young people entering, I just want them to know that they are the change that the mining sector needs and is welcoming. So come in with the mindset that you are the change maker. And I think once you do that, then all else will follow. Ask questions and also hold people accountable diplomatically. <laughs> I'd say those are some of my tips for for young women entering the industry. But definitely find your support group, find your people. You know, entering those big rooms by yourself is daunting. 
usually we're at most of the of the major conferences. So hopefully you'll find a Women in Mining UK desk or a Women in Mining whichever country you're in um, booth at one of those conferences. Find them. They're always willing to speak to young people and join join their organizations. They're usually for free, like Women in Mining UK. So and it's open to everyone, men and women. So yeah, I would I would do that. Do all of the above. <laughs> Fantastic. Some yeah, some very powerful advice there. Well, thank you so much, Stacey. I feel like I could uh, talk to you for ages, but we've uh, we've run down the clock. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. We look forward to welcoming you again on the next edition of Metal Movers. Thanks for having me.